Jonah chapter 1, as God already said, Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the enemies of God. They, were, they stood against everything um, that his people and what he was striving to do. He asked Jonah to go, cry out, preach in my name against them, and Jonah wouldn't do it because he knew that if he did it, God would save them. Jonah had hatred in his heart towards those people. They were his enemies. So what did he do? Jonah's a deserter, folks. If you're in the military or have any military background, he deserted God. He ran away from the army and his orders. He ran as far as he could go up to Tarshish, down to Joppa, then to Tarshish. That's actually towards Spain, modern-day Spain, which is very far away from the Middle East down that way where he was supposed to go. And he ran, so he goes, gets on a ship. And God uses only the way God can do it, miraculous turn of events to wake Jonah up, stir things up. A miraculous storm that it even scared the, sh- the sailors on the ship. Those guys live on sea all the time. That's their, how they made their daily living. And they were fearful of their lives that they cried out to their gods, small g, for, for uh, safety. But that was the Lord working on their hearts at that moment. Jonah's asleep. Physically, and like I said, I would like to say spiritually, asleep in the bottom of the boat. They wake him up. They realize he's the problem. Let's get rid of him. And the, the Spirit of the Lord's working on the men. Jonah actually realizes it's his fault. He knows it's his fault. But coming in face, to face-to-face with his consequences and what he's caused everybody else, he volunteers to go overboard hoping that the Lord would take that as a sacrifice and calm the sea before the ship breaks up and everybody dies. That's kind of what happens. But the men don't even want to send him overboard. They actually show that they've been saved and they even want to give him grace and mercy and they don't even want to throw him overboard. They want to actually try to row as hard as they can to get back to land. But Jonah goes overboard and he falls into the ocean and what happens? A great fish, like Scott said, swallowed him up. And that's where we're at. So... I wanted to go fast on that. We're at chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. If you don't have your scriptures out, give you a quick second to turn to Jonah chapter 2. And I'm going to stay right here today because if I get moving around, I'm going to go longer. So I'm going to stay right here and strap in and pile through this quick. Um, Jonah chapter 2 is his prayer. Jonah's praying out to the Lord. And I titled this, thank you Scott, I call Jonah the mirror prophet because I feel like I'm Jonah as well. I feel when I look, read Jonah, I'm looking in the mirror. And I didn't allude to that. That was the title of last message was the mirror prophet. Jonah is the mirror prophet. He's the minor prophet. I know that, but I changed the word. Jonah's prayer of pearl is what I call his peril, chapter 2. He's going to pray about the situation that he now finds himself in, and that's what we're going to look at today. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cry, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and billows pass over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. Yet I shall look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. 
Weeds were wrapped about my head the root, at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land where the bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who prayed regard, pray, pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and he vomited Jonah up on the sea. That's what Jonah's prayer, that's what we find in chapter 2. So what can we take away from this prayer? When I was studying and praying and reading these last couple months, and I read commentaries and see what other guys' thoughts are as they read and what their interpretation is, uh, some some of the commentaries seem to say that this is a prayer, a really great prayer, and it is, but a prayer that we could emulate daily or put it, print it, put it on your iPad or paste it in your Bible when you uh, go to God in the mornings that this is something you could pray. I don't, I don't really agree with that because you got context is everything. I know I just whipped through chapter one really quickly, but that's the context for where Jonah finds himself. And the reason why this... Jonah is at the deepest, darkest place in his mind and in his heart when he prays this prayer. Now, some of us might get, have been there, but we might not be there daily. So this is not necessarily a prayer that I would say we, we should be praying. But there's three really good aspects in this prayer. And that's probably why people, other commentary guys, thought that that would be something that is good. There are three really good pieces in this prayer that all prayers kind of should have. So that's what we're going to touch on and look at. Jonah's three responses in this, in this prayer. One, Jonah recognizes whom was in control. In his distress, in his consequences, at this vulnerable point, he recognizes that God was in control. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep. You cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows pass over me. They're pounding him. Pounding him. Just We've heard words like that before. We've heard them before. Psalms 51, David, King David is broken from his sin. And he says in Psalms 51, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David, like Jonah, is broken. He's breaking. He's in a deep, dark place in his mind and his heart. That's where Jonah's at. Since the start of Jonah's uh, flight from God, his desertion, since he's been running and turning his back on God, his plight has been one of descent after descent after descent. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the depths of a ship under the deck. He went down to the dark deeps of the ocean. And he went down into a belly of a great fish. Downward spiral over and over and over again. That's where Jonah is heading. That's where he's at now. He has hit rock bottom. Gentlemen, I know what you're talking about. You've been there. That's my testimony. You hit rock bottom. If anybody has had addiction, it takes everything from you. 
you hit rock bottom. That's when God breaks us. And that's where Jonah's at. Plain and simple, he's hurting. He's breaking. Jonah might have given up on God. He might have given up on him. We see that in chapter 1. I mentioned he's asleep in the decks of the ship. Everything's going on. The chaos is pursuing up on the top with the waves of this miraculous storm, and he's asleep. I like to say he's asleep spiritually. He, w- he was going to give up on God. God does not give up on us. God's not going to give up on him. Jonah started his troubles. God's going to finish them. He's going to see it through. What Jonah did by running away, God used that to his glory. He saved the men on the boat because Jonah turned his back. He used it for his glory. He does that all the time because he finishes our troubles. God pursued Jonah. He pursues us every day. He pursues us. When you turn your back on God, He still pursues us. He doesn't give up on us. The sleeping Jonah, deaf to the Lord's voice, had to be brought to the lowest point to his life for him to be woken up. Remember I had said way back in November, God shakes us. Sometimes it's gently through our circumstances to get our attention. And when we don't, or slow learner, like I feel that I am as well, he's got to shake us a little harder. And if you still don't respond, then he's really shaking you to whatever level you are to break us of our stubbornness, to get us to wake and to recognize what he's telling us to do. Jonah was deaf. He was asleep. He wasn't getting it. You ever fall asleep? How sometimes we see in movies people get woken up, they get what water thrown on them? That literally happened to Jonah when he hit the ocean. Boom, he woke up. That's a real big cold bucket of water in someone's face to get his attention. The ocean, that's exactly, literally what happened to Jonah. He gets thrown in a big cold bucket of water. Wake up, Jonah. Wake up. Is there a chance sometimes God has allowed you to get into trouble? And even brought trouble to us to wake us up. You might, perhaps, you might be feeling this right now. Everybody here is different. You might have different troubles, different trials and tribulation that you're going through. But he allows us to go through them to wake us up. That brings us to the next point. It brings us to a point in our life which is exactly point number two. Jonah humbled. He was humbled in his prayer, by his prayer. Jonah was humbled by his prayer, verses 5 and 6. Jonah's response to his peril was to pray. He was broken to the point, to the lowest point, that he was humbled enough to really cry out to God in a true and genuine prayer. The waters closed in over me to take my life. He's dying. He's dying. He's drowning in the ocean. The deep surround me. The weeds are wrapped about my head. The roots of the mountain. He's being suffocated pulled on, yanked on in different directions. That's how he's feeling as he's spinning around in the water. I went down to the lands whose bars closed upon me forever. No hope at this point. He's done. 
yet brought my yet but yet you brought my up my life from the pit o lord my god when my life was fainting away i remembered the lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple jonah was broken to the final pits of despair his his consequences finally woke him up the payment for his consequences got his attention Everyone has different reactions in crises. We all react different when we experience a different crisis in our lives. I've seen people in terrible situations turn to God and get to this point and their relationship with Him grows stronger and stronger through their troubles. That's my testimony. Thank you to God. Amen that I get to stand here to you today a different person. These gentlemen are the same way. Gone through similar things. And they chose to turn towards God. But there's a second side to this. We see people also turn completely away from God. Scott alluded to this as well. Even to the point where they turn away to God and they blame Him. They blame Him for their hurting. We've heard statements like this before. When we go and we evangelize and we tell somebody about God, well, I'm not going to believe in that God. He allowed me to have cancer. He allowed my great aunt Betty to die. Right? You fill in the blanks. You know what I'm saying. You've heard this. They blame it on God. That's the direct opposite to where Jonah is. He chose to turn back to God. Other people, our reactions, their reactions to their hurts and their despair is to blame God. Two contrasting reactions. But Jonah does the right thing. In his trouble, he returns to God. The key difference here, folks, the key difference is that he was humbled. He was humbled. He was brought to the point where he was able to make that decision. Pride wasn't there. It wasn't blocking. It wasn't... Blame shifting, he was humbled. What do we learn when we're in such great trouble and we get bailed out? Over and over, what do we learn when we keep getting bailed out? Jonah alludes to this. This is what he's talking about in verse 8 when he says, Cling to worthless idols. Those who cling to the worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That's what we're talking about there. We can trust in our money, our cleverness, try to outthink God like Jonah did, run away. We're going to find some cute way around our situations. We're going to trust in our cleverness. We're going to trust in our money. We're going to trust in our family. We're going to look for other people to bail us out. God needs to be the hero. God needs to be the hero of our story. Not those other things. Because they're not going to last. They have an end. The money runs out. Other people get tired of bailing you out. They quit on you. God will never quit on you. He has to be the hero. Because when He's the hero, you build that trust into the only one true person that can shoulder it. And that's the one true God. 
he brought Jonah. The only way a great God can is to bring Jonah that miraculous fish to swallow him up and to save him. Paying the price that he should have paid for his desertion, death, loss of his life. But God brought in only the one true way a miraculous God can do. We tell people that story, they probably think we're making it up. Yeah, a big fish swallowed somebody up. Well, if you, my God can do anything, that's what we see. When we're at that point, when Jonah's at that point, he's truly humbled. We see the third point here in this story. Jonah fully submits himself to God's will. Verse 9. In verse 9, Jonah makes that promise. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? I know we're Baptists, but amen? Get a little fired up here. It's Baptist church. We tend to sit a lot more. That's okay. That's what we're talking about this month, focus. Missions. But isn't that what we're supposed to be doing every day, folks? When we're called, we've talked about this in Matthew 28, it's, there's no end to that. There's not during the month of mission focus. There's not during this three-month focus or this two-month trial or whatever. It's every day we're given that command. That command is overarching every day. Go and make disciples. Are you obeying it? Or are you deserting? This story is really cool. Not only is it a story of Jonah and his turning his back on God and God reconciling Jonah back to himself, we see in this story a really neat thing. And if you haven't caught it, I'm going to point it out. There's a parallel in here. This book is really about salvation. The story of salvation. God's forgiveness about people turning his back on him. There's parallels between Jonah and Jesus. And let me point out three really quick. Jonah gave himself up for others, namely the sailors. When he realized it was, ultimately, he was broken to that point, he said, I'll go overboard. This needs to be rectified. In chapter 1, he was willing to go overboard and die. And Jesus gives his life for all of us. God demonstrates yet His own love for us while we are still sinners. God, Jesus was willing to give His life up. Just like Jonah. Jonah went down to a metaphorical grave. A fishy smelling grave. But he went down into a metaphorical grave for three days and three nights in the fishy tomb. Jesus went to a literal grave and spent three days and three nights. And after three days in the fish, Jonah was restored to dry land. Guess what? So was Jesus. Not only was he restored to dry land, Jesus was restored in the place where he belonged, in God's kingdom. And don't just take my words for this, folks. Matthew chapter 12, 38-41, Jesus says this. He's addressing the Pharisees and scribes and Pharisees, and they say, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, And an evil, adulterous generation seek a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For Jonah was for Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemned it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Those are the words of Jesus. There's a really cool parallel in this story. And I hope you you take it away with you. But three takeaways for us. What are we going to learn from this? How are we going to apply it to our lives? How are we going to be different? I'm very big on that. If you already know and you've heard me, application is key. We don't come. We just don't sit and take away some information. Sit, soak, and sour. God's Word demands action. We have to put it to use, folks. We have to do it. First thing to acknowledge is that we're in a dangerous cycle. We're in a dangerous cycle of disobedience. You are a soldier in God's army. If you have accepted that free gift of God, you are in His army. And we're running away. We're using the very gift of life that God gave us. We're using that to not do what He called us to do with it. We get busy in that life that He so freely gave to us that we get busy in the hustle and bustle and we don't forget to make Him first. Kids' schedules, running around. Look, I'm guilty too. All the different sports things i got to do. Work in a 9-to-5 job. Prepare messages. Go talk to people. Make sure I have a lot of interactions. We get too busy. And we don't make God first. And we're not doing the mission that He asked us to do with the life that we said we would do when we entered into His army. If you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not in the army, but you're still in a dangerous place as well. Life will take everything from you. It beats you up. That is the example of those waves crashing down on Jonah, beating him up. When you live a life out here in the world, the world is not nice to you. It's not going to think of you. It's not going to put you first. It's going to take. It's going to take. And you're going to feel alone. And you're going to feel to the bottom. But you don't have to go at it alone. You don't. If you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He will walk with you. And you will not be alone. That's what's so great about this book that you can see that parallel the salvation in which the second chance in which Jonah was given. When that fish vomited him back up on dry land, he was given a second chance. And spoiler alert, we're going to see that in chapter 3. He, he's, he's, going to, he's going to honor his promise because he was given that second chance. The second takeaway is you recognize you can't, do, you can't save yourself. We cannot save ourselves. Like Jonah, our only hope is to call on God. He said, in my distress, I called on the Lord and He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for His help. He listened to my cry. When my life was ebbing away, when it was fainting away, I remembered You, Lord, and my, and my prayer rose to You, to Your holy temple. 
We have to call on God. We can't save ourselves. You imagine if Jonah tried to save himself? Imagine when he's thrown overboard. He could have tried to swim for it, I guess. It's not going to make it very far. He's too weak by himself. We're too weak by ourselves. And all of our wealth and all of our cleverness and all of our skills and different contacts we have cannot save us from the danger that will face us. We, we can't do it on our own. Only God can do it. Those who cling to worthless idols will forfeit the grace that God has for you. You cannot do it on your own. You can't swim for it. You can't tread water long enough. You just can't do it. And if you hit rock bottom, you know what I'm talking about. It's true. Third thing, third takeaway. Like Jonah, we must act. Like I said, if you know the truth, you hear the truth of God's Word, it calls us to action. There has to be an action, folks. If you heard truth, there has to be a reaction. If you're sitting here and you don't have goosebumps or you don't feel like you have to get out and talk to the next person you see, are you asleep spiritually? Are we deserting God? Are we not carrying out the mission in which He gave us every single day? And right, it's not about us. We've been given the opportunity, brother, to go into jails where not many people can go. It's not about you. Like you said, that's awesome. And He's being used. God's using Him. We're tools in God's hand. Allow Him to use you. What does that look like? As I close, what does it look like? DNA is what we're made up of. That's your focus. I'm starting this church plant. Barry came in, the head of the BRN, and he told us things. And I went to the National Convention, and I heard again three things, three pillars in which he wants a healthy church to look like. And as I'm starting God's church in Middletown, those are the three things that I'm going to focus on. Those are the three core things that every time my group gets together, we're going to be focusing on that. Every uh, talk, every small group, every meeting we're going to focus on, there's going to be some aspect of one of those three core values, I guess I'll call them, are going to be there. One, engage lostness. Two, discipleship. Building us up so we can go out and carry out that mission and engage the lostness. And third, leadership. Okay, Discipleship and leadership are very similar. All the soldiers in the army do usually almost the same thing. But there is what? Really cool, crazy guys called special forces. That's what the leaders are. As you engage lostness and you witness and you bring somebody to Christ, you get to walk with them and you get to grow with them. And they grow. And as you got a group of people, just like Jesus did with his 12 disciples, there was some that had different skills and different abilities that that came up to the top as Jesus was teaching them and training them and discipling them. And those guys had a little extra something, and that's okay, and they became the specialists, the leaders. That's what Those three things are what we're... This is what Jonah's talking about. That's what God saved Jonah and used Jonah and gave him a second chance to obey God. That's our mission. Are you willing to accept it? That's my challenge to you. That's what God's challenge, His Word challenges us each and every time. 
And I ask that you just pray and you figure out it's a daily activity. It's a plan that you have to plan out. Purposeful, guys. It's just purposeful. You have to be purposeful about it. It's very easy. As you are going, make disciples. As you're going through life each and every day, you make a plan because we get caught up in our busy lives. You just have to make that first. Oh, you know what? As I'm going to the soccer game today, I'm going to make it a part. You're already going to think that. In the morning as you get up and you do your quiet time, you have to put it a part of your DNA. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to talk to two parents while I'm at that soccer game with my kids. Or I'm going to call up the neighbor in which I've kind of started to build a rapport with. I'm going to ask her to go to the grocery store with me. She's got to go and get groceries too. It's just being purposeful. That's all it is. It's not rocket science. You've heard me say this before. It's not rocket science. We need to make this part of our DNA. That's how we can make sure we are doing the mission that God calls us to. Don't be a deserter. Don't run away. Don't be like Jonah. But the awesome part of this, though, is when we are, when we are, God's there. And He still accepts us. And when we turn back, He still welcomes us back in and as we're going to see in chapter 3, God calls Jonah to do it again. In chapter 3, he says, go to Nineveh. Because he knows Jonah's going to answer, I will go the next time. 